Have you ever been jealous of someone? I mean, if we're honest, who hasn't been jealous at one point or another in their lives? And the Bible is full of people just like us who were jealous. And I'm afraid to say that it never turned out well for them. And probably has never turned out well for you either. But there's one particular person in the Old Testament who was jealous of Moses and Aaron. His name was Korah. And he led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron because he was so jealous. And it didn't turn out well for Korah either. But his story didn't end there. And so that's what this episode is all about. Have you ever felt that some Bible studies are too much? You know, they're too long, they're too deep, they're too serious, they're too theological, and yeah, maybe they're too boring. (laughs) Well, we're going to try to remedy that with this podcast, the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're going to take a close look at Scripture. We're going to look at the cellular base of what God was saying through His Word. But we're not going to make it too much of anything. We're going to try to make it just right for everything. Today, I hope we get more than one new verse done. I don't know. It's going to, going to, be, it's going to be a challenge because I have, we're going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here that I think is so cool, and I hope you like it. So anyway, so uh, Acts chapter 5, and we're going to, the verse we're going to look at intensely today is verse 17. But before we get to verse 17, I'm just going to read through 12 through 16 to remind us of the context of verse 17. So it means more to you um, when, when we get there. So let's start with verse 12, chapter 5. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. That's the one that's on the temple. Remember, we looked at that picture last week. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, and we talked about that last week in quite some depth, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. And the idea in the Greek, the word all there means absolutely every single one of them. 
So it wasn't, well, you get healed and you don't get healed. You get some and you... No, all of them, who they, Peter's shadow fell, fell on them, who he healed, the apostles healed. Everyone who came, all of them got healed. That's so great. I mean, and again, just like we talked about last week, can you imagine what it would have been like to be in Jerusalem at that time, especially if you're a believer, to get up and say, what's going to happen today? Who's, who's going to get healed? Who's going to be preaching? Who's going to... So it's an exciting time in Jerusalem. Unless you're in this next group of people, verse 17. <laughs> then the high priest, which we know is Caiaphas, and all his associates, meaning his friends, the Sadducees, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Says indignation. Indignation, envy. Yeah, they were... They were jealous. And my question is, does this sound familiar for these guys? Caiaphas, the high priest, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, that they're jealous? We've seen it before, haven't we? Because not long before this, they felt the same way about Jesus. These are the same, the same group, the same group of people. So this is their issue. This is their problem. Their jealousy. And it's the same group. And the thing is, in the Bible, anytime jealousy rears its ugly head, ugly things happen. Every single time, jealousy, envy, indignation, every single time you look at someone else and you say, I want what they have. I wish I had what they had. I'm, I don't like them because God is blessing them. And whatever the case may be, every single time it is talked about in the Bible, bad things happen. So, for example, you can say that jealousy was part of the problem for Cain and Abel, right? Jealousy there. One man dies because of that. Uh, you can say that there was jealousy between King Saul and David, right? King Saul was jealous of David and his popularity and the fact that he killed 10,000 where Saul only killed, killed 1,000 or whatever. So the whole reason Saul was after David all those years is because he was jealous of David. And I don't know what the body count was there, but hundreds or thousands of men lost their lives in that conflict between those two. And I think the story of Absalom and David, if you know that story, Absalom was one of David's sons, and Absalom kind of took over from David and kicked him out off the throne and made him flee Jerusalem. And I think part, I think part of that problem was a precocious child who just wanted to prove his dad wrong about something, but I think maybe there was some inkling of jealousy in that situation as well. And... I think if you look at Jonah in the book of Jonah and him going to Nineveh and the fact that he did not want to do that was somewhat had some seeds of jealousy because he was kind of jealous that God was letting the Ninevites off easy, what he felt was easy, whereas he didn't let the Jewish people off easily. And, and so part of, I think, what the reason Jonah didn't want to go was he was, he was upset and partly jealous because, well, 
why are you taking it easy on these guys? You know, what what they haven't done anything. They're they're the bad guys, and you're giving them grace and mercy. What's that all about? And then I think um, when we looked here in chapter five of Acts, we see it again in Ananias and Sapphira, because remember their problem. One of their problems was that uh, Barnabas had given a large, he had sold his property and given a large sum of money to the church and to the leaders of the church, and he got lots of accolades because of that. He's even mentioned in in this uh, chapter 4 of Acts that, hey, Barnabas was such a great guy. He's the son of encouragement. He gave all this money to the believers. And Ananias and Sapphira sitting there saying, well, wait a minute. We want that kind of acclaim for ourselves. We want to be recognized. And so part of what went on with them was jealousy. And they both died because of their jealousy. So the point is that any time that you feel jealous, run away. <laughs> Stop. Run away from it. Because you know what? If it's not good in the Bible, it's not going to be good in your life either. And I mean, who among us hasn't felt jealous at some point? I mean, we, I don't think, how can you not, how can you be human and not have felt jealousy at some point for someone else? But it's not good. And it's never good in the Bible. It's never, I mean, have any of you ever had a good resolve from it? Yeah. And so, uh, and, and you know what? You know how it often starts? Here's how, it, and I think it's the case in, in, the, in this case too. You start with, here's what you think. You think, it's not fair. It's not fair. I. Right. It's not fair. I. So that's what you think. And here are these people, the high priests and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin and all these officials in the Jewish religion of the day. And these are the people who should be celebrating what's going on. These are the people who should be advocating what's happening. These are the very people who should not be trying to stifle and stop this movement, but encourage it. And yet they're on the opposite side of that. And I think a lot of it's because they were saying, well, it's not fair. Because how can God use those people? Right? They're not smart enough. They're not good enough. They're not educated enough. They're, they're not us. You know, they're manual laborers. They're untaught. They're uneducated. I mean, how can that rabble be used by God? If God's going to use anybody, he's going to use me. It's not fair. I should be having people fall at my feet. And, and, and they're not. And the difference is that the apostles were trying to bring glory to Christ. And these other people, religious leaders, were trying to bring glory to themselves. So here we're going to go off on this little tangent, so bear with me. There is a case of jealousy in the Old Testament that I think is so cool. I mean, it's not cool because it's jealousy, but it's so cool because of the whole story, the way it all ends up. So turn with me to Numbers chapter 16. And we're going to look at, if I can find it in my own Bible, number 16. Where did I put it? It's back here. So number 16 
I got it. <laughs> Thanks for the help, though. I appreciate it. So, uh, I was, when I was taking my, um, I was taking my, uh, they called it back then, uh, what would they call it? They called it lay pastor training. Lay pastor training at, through ABC Ohio. One of the teachers, he was saying that, you know, go to this book, go to that book, go to the other book, you know, and we're all sitting there going. He goes, hey, don't be embarrassed if you have to look in the table of contents. It's okay. God gives you grace with that. That's fine. As long as you know how to get there eventually, you're fine. So anyway, uh, so number 16. Okay. So here we are. And by the way, the word jealous, it derives from the word zealous. Jealous and zealous. And when you're zealous for something, what does that mean? Yeah, you're you're kind of way out there, right? You're kind of you're kind of way uh, you're extreme. You're extreme. So jealous comes from zealous, which means you're extreme. You're you're, you're hot for something. You have a heat. The word zealous kind of means to have a heat, a hot. You're hot for something, and. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, one of Jesus' disciples was a zealot. You know, Simon, there was Simon Peter and there was Simon the zealot. And the zealots back in that, in, in Jesus' day, the zealots were a group that, you know, you had the Sadducees and the Pharisees. You had the Essenes, which is the Dead Sea Scrolls. Those are the Essenes. And then you had the zealots. And the zealots, they wanted uh, to revolt against Rome and defeat Rome with violence. They wanted to strike back at them using violence to overcome Rome, which was crazy. The Maccabees, the Maccabees eventually were, were, they were actually successful in overcoming Rome. Uh, no, they were probably s- somewhat in the zealot category, I would say, but, but, uh, uh, but they actually were successful for, for a limited amount of time in what they did. But, um, but so, so Simon, the zealot, one of Jesus' disciples, he was he was all for let's just let's just get out our knives and our swords and let's go to town. But obviously, when he became a, a Christian, a believer, that kind of all settled down. But so so that's where the word jealous comes from, from, from zealous. So okay, so chapter sixteen, verse one, it says Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi. And certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and On, son of Peleth, became insolent. Now Korah, just to set the stage here, is a Levite, right? So their job at this time is to serve in the uh, tent, in, in, in the tabernacle. Their job is to serve. They aren't the priest, the high priest. The high priest was Aaron at this time, Moses' brother Aaron. And it was through Aaron's descendants through whom the high priestly line should come. But the Levites were, you know, one of, you know their uh, tribe, their designation was to care for the uh, tabernacle. So like when the different tribes were allotted land, in the promised land, the Levites did not get land because the Levites, their job was to take care of the temple and so forth. So he's a Levite. So he has a 
he has a, a job. He has, he's already, by being a Levite, kind of lifted up from among the other tribes because this was considered to be a good thing. This was a position of honor. If you were a Levite and you got to work and take care of the, uh, the tabernacle uh, or eventually the temple, this was seen as a blessing. This was, this was a special honor for you. So anyway, so it says, they became insolent in verse 2 and rose up against Moses. Rose up against Moses. With him were 250 Israelite men well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. So these were movers and shakers of the community. These were important people. These people had letters after their names, you know, PhD, MD, blah, 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 blah. so these were, these were who these people were. Okay, verse three. They came as a group to impose Moses and Aaron, and said to them, you have gone too far. So it says the whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? So what are they saying here? Why do you think you're better than us? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Moses and Aaron are out there saying, okay, do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. And when somebody, uh, you know, uh, uh, does something on the Sabbath they shouldn't do, well, God says, you know, take them out and stone them or whatever. Or, you know, different things. So, and will we, you know, let's go here. So, Moses and Aaron are in charge. And Korah and his 250 friends come to them and say, you're no better than anyone else. You're not the boss of me. <laughs> You're not. <laughs> Everyone in Israel is a chosen person. What makes you so special? Right. So he's feeling his oats here. He's, you know, Mr. Big Guy. And he says, and also, and here's the important thing, we don't need to obey you. Because... We're all chosen. We're all special. We're all, and who made you the boss of us, like Cheryl said? And, and the issue was, and, and part of the issue, part of the, and this is all based on jealousy, isn't it? Korah is jealous. He's jealous of Moses, but I think probably he's more jealous of Aaron. And because Aaron is the high priest, and I think Korah, as maybe maybe he's the leading Levite, maybe Korah is the head Levite hotch-honcho. And he's looking and saying, well, being a Levite is good, but being a high priest is even better. And Moses, and what he's looking at is, well, who decided that Aaron was going to be the high priest? And he's saying, not God made Aaron the high priest. He's saying Moses made Aaron the high priest. So who are you, Moses, to make Aaron the high priest? Who is Aaron to be the high priest? I'm as good as Aaron. It's not fair. I should be. So I think that's where it's all coming from. Okay. So 
when Moses verse four, when Moses heard this, he fell face down. <laughs> now, uh, I don't know exactly why Moses fell face down here, but I think personally, if I had been Moses and Korah and 250 officials came to me, think about who Moses is at this point. He's already been used by God. This is after they've left Egypt. He's already been used by God to do the plagues. He's already been used by God to bring the people out of slavery in Egypt. He's already, you know, given, you know, he's been the guy that's got him through the parting of the Red Sea. It never ceases to amaze me when I read these Old Testament stories about these people the Moses people is, oh my goodness, what? There's the golden calf incident, you know? There's this incident. And I'm thinking, did, did you not just go through? Did you, how, how soon we forget? And so, and so one thing is, Moses is sitting going like, when they come to him, they say, you know, who are you? you know, what made, who made you the boss? And I think Moses just, he just faded dead away. He's like, you got to be kidding me. Seriously? I think it was he fell from shock is what I'm thinking. Oh, anyway, I would have done that. Okay, verse 5. <laughs> then he said to Korah. Greg, yeah. Uh, mine says uh, he fell upon his face. Fell face down. There's a little bit of a different suggestion. I, I always took that to mean that he, he, he just fell down to, to yeah. worship before. Pray or to seek. Yeah. And that may be exactly what's happening. No, no. Well, I'm saying that's what I would have done. I'm saying, I'm saying, no. I'm saying, in all likelihood, Moses fell face down because uh, what Moses is called the most humble man ever, right? So he was humble. He certainly did not take this on himself. And I think when he was confronted with this, he fell face down to prostrate himself to say. I'm, you know, what he's doing basically symbolically is saying, I'm no better than you. I'm falling at your, I'm falling face down at your foot to say, I'm no better than you. I, I'm, I never said I was better than you. This is not from me. So I think you're right. I think there was a lot more going the way. I'm just saying, if it had been me, I just, I'd have fainted away because I'd be like saying, oh, are you kidding me? But no, I think you're right. I think Moses, it was a position that he put himself in to say to them. I don't know where you're coming from because I've never lifted myself up. I'm actually prostrating myself before you now as your servant. So good point, Stan. So verse five, then he said to Korah and all his followers, in the morning, the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy. And he will have that person come near him. The man he chooses, he will cause to come near him. You, Korah, and all your followers are to do this. Take censers and tomorrow put fire and incense in them before the Lord. The man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. You Levites have gone too far. So he is now saying to the Levites exactly what they said to him, right? Look back in verse 3. They said to Moses and Aaron, you have gone too far. And then what does Moses say in verse 7? You Levites have gone too far. It's like there's a there was a show on Netflix called um, Kim's Convenience. It's hilarious. It's really funny. It's a show, and they, there's a it's a Korean family that runs a convenience store, 
and the father, he's like uh, like a Korean Archie Bunker kind of. And like every time someone comes in and says, like his wife especially, she goes, well, you 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 stock that wrong. And his, every time his response is, well, you stock it wrong. So this is what, what uh, Moses is doing here. They said, you've gone too far. He goes, you've gone, you've gone too far. So, okay. So now when Janet and I, when she, every time she points out anything, she criticizes me for anything at all, I don't argue. I just say, you do, do, do. I just <laughs> accuse her right back, you know. So kind of ends the conversation right there. Okay. So verse 8, Moses also said to Korah, now listen, you Levites, is it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near himself to do the work of the Lord at the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and minister to them? In other words, you already have this wonderful position. Why do you want, what's going on? Why do you want even more? And listen, you know, sometimes we have a hard time being content, don't we? We have a hard time being content. It's like, okay, well, uh, you know, God has put you in the choir. And that's a wonderful thing to be. You're part of a special group in the church. And you meant, you're, you're, and how many people here are in the choir? I've sung in the choir. But you used to be the choir. I know you did, Dennis. Don't lie back there. So, you know, in order to sing in the choir, you have to be at least able to sing, okay? But because God has given you this gift of singing, he has given you this wonderful place to be among the special group, the choir of the church, and you have this special opportunity to minister through your music that you're making. But... It's like one of you, like is in the choir, you say, I want to be the choir leader. I want to be the director. I want to be the conductor. You know? And so, you know, the conductor looks at you and says, you're already in the choir. Why isn't that enough? You already have a wonderful... By the way, just as an aside, uh, I think there are two different kinds of singers. Now, let's, first of all, let's, let's remove the people who can't sing at all. Okay, so let's remove them from the equation. Okay, like me. Just move me out of that equation. But there are people who can sing, and they sound good when they sing, and they're pleasant to hear when they sing, and they, they're great in the choir when they sing, and they sing great. But then there are people who sang. There are people who sang. You know, these people, man, they can sing now. And they're singing, and they're singing. And... Um, Remember Roman Walton? Were any of you ever hear him sang? I mean, Roman could sang. So, anyway, okay. So that's, that's my point. Okay. So here we have, the, he says, you're already in a special group. So uh, verse 11, it is against the Lord that you and all your followers have banded together. It's not against me. It's not against Aaron. We were appointed by God. Oh, that's a verse. Okay, verse 10. He has brought you and all your fellow Levites near himself, but now you're trying to get. Okay, there you go. Yeah, I'm sorry. Verse 10. He has brought you and all your fellow Levites near himself, but now you are trying to get the priesthood too. And he says, I mean, did, did Moses seek out to be the leader of this group? No, he tried to avoid it. The burning bush, he, he didn't burn the bush, God burned the bush. And God called him. And even after God called him, what did uh, Moses say? 
I, I can't do this. It's too big for me. I, I can't go. What do, what do I tell them? They're not going to listen to me. And it was so like that that finally God said, okay, Aaron will help you. You know, we'll bring Aaron. He can help you too. And so, and I always love it. If you go back, you look at the story. When Moses is going back for the first time to Egypt to be God's man there and to release them from slavery, it says, and Moses went and he took his staff with him. And I, I look at it as like uh, Moses was going back and he was holding that staff like, you know, a security blanket. It's like, okay, okay, this, this staff, I got to have the staff. I'm gonna be, as long as I have my staff, I'm going to be okay. But I just think he was so overwhelmed. So the point is, you know, Moses is saying, we didn't seek this out. You don't have a problem with us. You have a problem with God's the one who decided this, not us. So verse 12, then Moses summoned Dathan and Abiram, who were also part of it, the sons of Eliab. But they said, we're not coming. Isn't it enough that you have brought us? Now look at this. Isn't it enough that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the desert? They look back at Egypt and they saying that was a land flowing with milk and honey. They were slaves. Their sons were being murdered. They were having to produce bricks without straw. They were being whipped and punished. They were under Pharaoh's thumb. And now they're looking back on it saying, well, that was, that was a good old days. That was flowing with milk and honey. We can so deceive ourselves sometimes, can't we? And rationalize. Okay. And now you also want to lord it over us. Moreover, you haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey or given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you gouge out the eyes of these men? No, we will not come. So they're afraid of Moses at this point. So verse 15, then Moses became very angry, very angry. And the idea there is he was hot under the collar. He was boiling mad and said to the Lord, do not accept their offering. I have not taken so much as a donkey from them, nor have I wronged any of them. Moses said to Korah, you and your followers are appeared before the Lord Tomorrow, you and they and Aaron, each man is to take his censer and put incense in it, 250 censers in all, and present it before the Lord. You and Aaron are to present your censers also. Verse 18. So each man took his censer, put fire and incense in it, and stood with Moses and Aaron at the entrance to the tent of meeting. When Korah had gathered all his followers, now all his followers, so we know there were 250 but some people think that overnight, because this happened the next morning, overnight Korah may have recruited other people. So this group, all his followers, might even be several hundred or maybe even a thousand or a couple. We don't know. But the thought is that there were more than just the 200. Somehow, probably during the night, he had rallied other people to his side. So Korah had gathered all his followers in opposition to them at the entrance of the tent of meeting. The glory of the Lord appeared to the entire assembly. In other words, those on Korah's side, those on Moses' side. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, separate yourselves from this assembly so I can put an end to them at once. What he's saying, what God is saying there is, you two move away. All of the rest of them, I'm going to just zap them. I'm just going to, they're just no good for nothing. We're just going to start over. And 
we're, you know, we're just going to get rid of the whole bunch. Verse 22. But Moses and Aaron fell face down. Here we go, Stan. This is exactly what happened here. And they're, here they're, they're pleading with God. Oh, God, God of the spirits of all mankind, will you be angry with the entire assembly when only one man sins? Then the Lord said to Moses, say to the assembly, move away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Moses got up and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. So they all followed him over to where he was going to see Korah. He warned the assembly, move back from the tents of these wicked men. Do not touch anything belonging to them, or you will be swept away because of all their sins. So they moved away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Dathan and Abiram had come out and were standing with their wives, children, and little ones at the entrance to the tents. Then Moses said, this is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things and that it was not my idea. If these men die a natural death and experience only what usually happens to men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord... Now, the idea here is, it's like, sometimes, you know, it's okay to pray and ask God, God, you know, let me know this is your will. You know, let me let me know, you know, just you don't have to say to God, do this so I know. You know, don't set the requirement, but just say, let let, let me know. And, and invariably, God might do something that you say, oh, okay, that's what I was praying for. That was that was God. You know, that was the answer to my prayer. And so in this case, Moses is like saying, okay, what's the most amazing thing I could possibly ask for? So if there's no question, that's what you want sometimes when you pray. Lord, I want there to be no question. I want to know for sure that I'm following you and doing what you want me to do. So Moses comes up here with the most amazing, incredible thing could possibly happen, so they know. And so what's they happen? It says, but if the Lord brings about something totally new and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them and everything that belongs to them and they go down alive into the grave, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. As soon as he finished saying this, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them with all their household and with all Korah's men and all their possessions. They went down alive into the grave and everything they owned, uh, the earth closed over them and they perished and were gone from the community at their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, The earth is going to swallow us also. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. So, bad things happen. That all happened because Korah was jealous of Aaron and Moses. And all of these people died as a result of it. Now, who was Korah? We have just a few minutes. This is the, the whole reason I did all that was to do this. So look back at Exodus chapter 6 for a moment. Exodus chapter 6. So verse 13. In my Bible, the heading says, Family record of Moses and Aaron. And it says in verse 14, Verse 13, now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. These were the heads of their families. Verse 16, verse 16, these were the names of the sons of Levi according to their records. Gershon, Kohath, let's just stop there. Stop. All you need to know is Kohath. Verse 18, 
The sons of Kohath were Amram, Ishar. That's all you need to know for now. The sons of Kohath were Amram and Ishar. So Amram and Ishar are brothers. Verse 20. Amram married his father's sister, Jochebed, who bore him Aaron and Moses. Verse 21. The sons of Ishar were Korah. So what's that mean? It means Korah was cousin. They were first cousins. Moses and Aaron and Korah were first cousins. Now, do you think anything good could have come from Korah, the dastardly, terrible guy that he was? Could anything positive come from him? Okay, skip down to verse 24. The sons of Korah were Asir, Elkanah, and Abiziaf. Abiziaf. Okay, so remember Abiziaf. Now, turn over to 1 Chronicles chapter 6. 1 Chronicles is after 2 Kings. Chapter 6. <clears throat> Verse 33. 1 Chronicles 6.33. Here are the men who served together with their... I'll go back to 31. These are the men David put in charge of the music in the house of the Lord after the ark came to rest there. They ministered with music before the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, until Solomon built the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. They performed their duties according to the regulations laid down for them. Verse 33. Here are the men who served together with their sons. From the Kohathites. These are descendants of Korah and his group. Heman the musician the son of Joel, the son of Samuel. Now this Samuel is the Samuel, first and second Samuel. This is Samuel who is the big mover and shaker in Israel at, for, at the beginning. He's, this is the Samuel who crowned Saul to be king and who anointed David to be king. This is that Samuel. The son of Samuel, the son of Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Eliel, the son of Toha, the son of Zuf, the son of Elkanah, there's more than one Elkanah, the son of Mahath, the son of Amasai, the son of Elkanah, another Elkanah, the son of Joel, another Joel, the son of Azariah, the son of Zephaniah, the son of Tehath, the son of Asir, the son of Abiasaph. Okay, in my Bible it's spelled with an E, Abiasaph. In Exodus it's spelled with an A, Abiasaph. The son of Korah was Abiasaph. Okay, this is the same Abiasaph. And second row, the son of Beasaph, the son of Korah, the same Korah. So what is the implication? What does that mean? That means that Samuel was a direct descendant of Korah. A bad, awful person like Korah and an amazing, wonderful man of God like Samuel descended from that same line. Well, how does that happen if all of Korah's Let's look back again at, at Exodus, verse, um, verse uh, where are we? Numbers. numbers. No, I'm sorry, numbers, 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 numbers. So, no, actually, I'm going to go back to, um, to, to, to Exodus 6, verse 24. The sons of Korah were Asir, Elkanah, and Abiziah. So he had three sons, right? So... Next, I want you to look at, um, 
Uh, let's go to uh, Psalm 84 and 85. <coughs> Psalm 84 and 85. So Psalm 84 says at the top, for the director of music according to Gittith of the sons of Korah, a psalm. Verse, uh, psalm 85. For the director of music of the sons of Korah, a psalm. So how is it that the sons of Korah, well, what happened is that the sons of Korah when they, when Moses said, basically, you guys who are with me come over on this side, and you guys who are with Korah stay with Korah. And what happened is the sons of Korah decided to go over to Moses' side. And it's so interesting because... Um, You have to sit there and say, you know, how did that happen? Well, it happens because each person has to make their own decision. And I'm sure it was difficult for those kids, right? And I think probably the way it happened is, I mean, this is my own imagination is, the youngest son was the first to go over, right? Because the youngest kid is always the, uh, the renegade, right? Always the rebel. So the youngest son goes first, and then the middle son goes because the middle son, you know, always. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I take it back. The middle son goes first. That's my point. The middle son goes first because the middle son is the, the middle child is the rebel. The middle. So the middle child goes first. The middle child is the rebel. Then the youngest son goes next because the youngest son always does what the middle son tells him to do. The middle child always does what the, the, the youngest. Child always does what the middle child says to do, and then the oldest son's the last to go because the oldest child always wants to please their parents, right? They want to please their parents, but he looks and he says, "Moses, yeah, I think I'll go over there." And so, anyway, what happened is somehow, some way, the sons of Korah did not die in that. Korah did, his followers did, some other people related to him did. The Korah sons, Korah's sons, lived. They went on to become wonderful men of God. And they wrote several of the psalms. Maybe so, Korah's sons weren't there at that incident. Well, it's just the whole assembly. So I, think they were, I think they were there. But they had to make a decision. It would be a tough decision, wouldn't it? To leave, just like the Jews, you have to leave your tradition. Leave, to leave your, well, they had to leave their father to go with Moses. So. Yes? Quick comment. Absolutely. Funny, quick story. Uh, everyone has an opinion, which is what you just described. Right. Um, we were, uh, Liz and I were visiting uh, Mackinac Island a while back uh, on one of their boats uh, to get over to the island. It was a stormy day, and the waves were pretty high. But the front uh, on this uh, tour boat, the front of the ship was open on the lower level, uh, and people were funneling in because it was just too bad to be on, on the top. And uh, they had about the first five rows blocked off so you couldn't sit near the front because of all this activity. And uh, so Ruth and I were close, but we weren't right at the front. Anyway, uh, across the caution line. 
two women who were dressed extremely well. It was kind of interesting. Young, it was kind of interesting to watch all this. They stepped over the uh, caution tape and sat down. Oh my gosh! And it was almost time to go, and finally one of the crewmen came down and said, "You can't sit here. Didn't you see the caution tape?" And as they and so they both got it, got all this stuff and crossing back over. And then as they were passing us, we heard them say, I didn't know that applied to me. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody has an opinion. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> That's the thing. That doesn't include me, does it? All right, that's all I got, guys. Thank you so much. So we'll come back. I told you we get one one verse done today. So, but it's so interesting, Cora, and to know how all the dots connect is really kind of cool. So. That concludes this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. I pray that you've learned something new about the Lord today, and He's given you some new insight into who He is and how much He loves you. Remember, the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. May in that refuge today and those everlasting arms, you find the provision that you need, the protection that you need, the power that you need, and through those, the peace that you need. Remember, he said, my peace I give you. Peace be with you. Shalom.